go. Good morning. Good morning to all of you here that joined us this morning. It is great to see you here. It is nice to be able to look around the auditorium instead of just pretending to see you through the camera in the back. And everybody who's watching us at home uh, streaming, good morning to you as well. We're glad that you're here. Um, if you'd like to be here next week, uh, we remind you that uh, it is limited due to social distancing, but you can go online and reserve a spot um, and watch the video to, to understand all the guidelines that are taking place for people who are meeting here in person. But uh, it's Sunday morning, and we're going to spend some time worshiping our Father today. So uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. If you're watching at home and you're streaming, please take just a second to like and share. Um, you never know who might be reached uh, through your ability to share on social media. So if you're, if you're watching at home, please take just a second to share that. Uh, if somebody's online uh, Sunday morning, killing time, then there's no better place for them to be than right here with us worshiping along. We do have some announcements this morning we want to run through. Um, first and foremost, if you're feeling a little disconnected, take advantage of joining a, a, a group here, a small group with church. Um, as we all get closer to getting back together, uh, being part of a small group is going to be very imperative to, to your own spiritual growth and to our growth as a body. So we encourage you, uh, go online, learn more about small groups, and let's try to find a place to plug ourselves in there. If you need help right now, uh, we've got the pantry ministry that's taking place every Sunday afternoon. Um, they can give you a, a hand up uh, to help you through these times. We know a lot of people are struggling and hurting. Uh, if, there is a, if there is a way that we can serve you through that ministry, please take advantage of that and come down to the church this afternoon. Um, we have some people on our prayer list that we need to, to kind of run through here real quickly. Um, we need to continue to be in prayer for our brother David Harkins. He's still in the hospital, but he is doing a little better. He's out of the ICU. Uh, he can receive cards and calls, and we know that he would very much appreciate those. So if that's something you can find time to do this week, that would be a wonderful blessing. Um, Debbie Shiraus continues to make progress uh, after her fall. Sam Bush was in and out of the hospital with some kidney concerns. Um, a former member and someone we all, uh, many of us know, Patty Hughes, is fighting terminal cancer and having some adverse effects with her medication. So we want to continue to keep her in our prayers. Uh, I got a note this morning that our sister Yusi's uh, manager at work, a young woman by the name of Ashley, just 30 years old, is in critical condition with a kind of an unknown issue that she's having with an autoimmune, autoimmune disorder. And doctors are trying to figure that out, and Yusi's asked that we keep her in our prayers. Um, we have others that have some ongoing needs, some names that we've mentioned quite a bit up here, Mary Shadwick, uh, Clifford Lamont, um, Tom Clendenning, Zoe's brother, Gloria Baker, um, Zane and Karen Larson, uh, and the whole Larson family after the loss of Luke, and uh, Allison Kazabon and, and her family after the, the passing of her father. So we want to continue to keep those in our prayers. If you're at home and you have something to add, please feel free to type that in, share with everyone who's following and streaming along. Um, some Faith Lane updates. The Thursday night pajama parties are going great, and the kids are really enjoying those. If you have some kids who are not taking part in that, they're missing out. So uh, touch base with Miss Angie and get some instructions on how to do that. Um, but uh, the, the theme for this week is going to be favorite colors, and Miss Angie's working on putting something together for that. It'll be a lot of fun. So uh, if, if you've got some Faith Lane kids or some kids that uh, you want to share that with, please reach out to Miss Angie this week. Uh, the youth group is in the midst of their uh, SunQuest local. We weren't, weren't able to go to SunQuest this year. Um, they're, they're doing a digital option that uh, a lot of the kids in the youth group are here on uh, Friday night to, to do, and that's continuing and ongoing. So if you want some updates and some information on that, reach out to Robbie, but that's taking place. And of course, 
they'll be having their class uh, today uh, following services as well on Zoom, so you won't want to miss out on that. Um, in our missions news updates, uh, our local mission work uh, of Mount Dora Christian Home uh, had their big annual dinner last week. They were unable to do it as we typically would do it here at the building. Um, they did it virtually. If you missed out on that presentation, it's still online, and you can go and view that, um, and we'd encourage you to do that. And if you're still able to give to that effort, uh, they're certainly still accepting contributions. Um, for our brothers and sisters across the world, we've got some contact with uh, the churches that we've worked with in India and in South America. Um, in India, they've, they've, they're having some issues, uh, certainly, with, with this virus as well. In fact, um, our brother uh, Prasad down there, who's working with a lot of the families, has some issues uh, with some people in, in the church there and around the church who are having COVID. They've had one death uh, there locally as well, so that we want to continue to keep them in our prayers. They're also having a tremendous uh, issue with some flooding that's going on right now. There are some pictures online, uh, but they are in certain need of special prayer from us right now, so we want to continue to keep them in our prayers. And in Venezuela, um, Sister Vielma and the congregation continue to pass out those food bags that are very critical for, uh, for the people that in their community with, with the economy and the things they've got going on right now. We've been able to step up our, our ability to help them with that, and they're extremely grateful for that, but they want to thank us for that and, and help encourage us to encourage them uh, through, through continuing to help those efforts. Um, the worship service will be a little bit different this morning. We're going to have a, a song leader up here who's going to lead us in a couple of songs. Tim's going to come and give us a great lesson, and we're going to go ahead and start transitioning now to, uh, to shift our minds into focus uh, for, for the worship that's about to take place. After Tim's sermon today, uh, our brother and Neil is going to come forward and lead our thoughts in communion, and then we're going to be moving on to having uh, hopefully a very blessed week. So as we continue to, uh, to come together and to, for those of us here this morning, be able to see each other and uh, know that behind these masks, we're all smiling and happy to be here and see each other. Um, we're happy that you're here with us as well at home. We're going to take this moment to just uh, reflect, to pause on, on what it is what is so amazing about being able to come together in front of our Father and worship him on the first day of the week? And we're going to do that in prayer. So pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being a God of love, for being a God who just, even in what seems to be the worst of times, pours out blessings on us beyond our comprehension. Lord, we, we can never truly appreciate what it is that you do for us, and, and we can only appreciate the fact that your son died so that we can call you Father we can have this relationship with you and that we can bow our heads and come before your throne and just feel the love that you have for us. Lord, we pray that you will be with this world, those hurting in this world. We pray that you will be with us and help us to be a light and a beacon to those people who are hurting, uh, that through, sometimes even through our pain, we can reach out to others and we can help point them to the love that you have for all of us. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to grow, to share, Lord, we thank you, and we pray that you will be with those who are, who are sick and hurting in this body and across the world. Give us a healing. Give us health. Give us a peace that passes our own understanding. Lord, we pray that you will be with us this morning. Help us to focus on you, to open our hearts to your word, and to truly allow you to work in our lives. We thank you for all the sacrifices that were made so that we could be called your children. And it is in the name of that sacrifice, your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things this morning. Amen. 
We're going to start our song service. Good morning. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. to see you 
serves this is the song before we will have our lesson um, uh, given to us so <clears throat> after the song Tim will step up each step I take my Savior goes before me and with his loving hand he leads the way and with each breath I whisper I I take 
just leads me closer home. I trust in God, no matter come what may, for life eternal is in his hand. He holds the key that opens up the way that will lead me to the promised land. Each step I take, I know that he will guide me to higher ground. He ever leads me I got to tell you, I feel a little bit like uh, Bill Murray at the very end of Groundhog Day. This is different. <laughs> different good or different bad? Anything different is good. Mike mentioned in his announcements that uh, things will be a little different today. Tim's going to have a really good lesson, so <laughs> there you go. But it is good to see some faces in the auditorium. You know, everything's relative, right? Several months ago, I would have got up and said, where is everybody? Now I get up and say, look at everybody. Now, this is great. Uh, but we're glad that you're worshiping with us today online as well. You know, um, we have tried to execute this reopening as safely as possible. And I know that the vast majority of our Bay Area family is still watching online, and uh, that's okay. We want you to be worshiping in a place where you feel safe, and we know this is going to be a process. I appreciate all of you who have uh, gone through that process, and um, like I said, we're, we're learning as we go. So we're asking for a lot of patience and a lot of grace. Wherever you are this morning, welcome. I'm sure you have seen this cartoon that's been making the rounds, but I wanted to share it with you anyway. Mrs. Jones got a little too used to watching online worship from home. And I want to tell those of you who are watching at home, just so you know, for the most part, everybody here looks pretty good. There's a few exceptions, but for the most part, everybody looks pretty good. No, I'm kidding. You all look great. Yeah, you look great. Hey, we're in this sermon series, walking through the Old Testament book of Ruth. And Ruth is the eighth book in the Old Testament. And I don't know if you've recognized it yet or not, but the book of Ruth is sort of sandwiched between some of the most exciting books in the entire Bible. 
right before the book of Ruth, we find the books of Joshua and Judges. Fascinating stories. We see God's people entering the promised land, uh, conquering the promised land. Right after the book of Ruth, you find 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Chronicle. You know, we read about Samuel, we read about Saul, David, the life and times of David. Edge of your seat kind of excitement. And then wedged in with all that excitement and all that drama, all those wars, all that intrigue, all that killing is this four little chapter love story that we call Ruth. And for hundreds of years, this story of Ruth has connected with people. And I think I know why this story has connected with people. Because we all long to find that one true love in our lives, right? I keep telling you, the book of Ruth is a love story. Now us guys, we say, well, we don't really care for love stories, but we do. I mean, everybody loves a love story. And everybody loves a story with a happy ending. So, this morning, we're going to continue the story. We've already met Naomi. We've already met Ruth. Today, we're going to meet a man by the name of Boaz. And we are going to discover how a godly man treats women. Quick recap. Naomi, a mother-in-law, uh, has gone away to the land of Moab because of a famine. She's followed her husband and her two sons there. While in Moab, her two sons marry Moabite women. Her husband dies. Both of her sons die. One of her daughters-in-law stays in Moab. The other daughter-in-law, this woman by the name of Ruth, decides to return back to Israel, back to Bethlehem, with her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi. Um, when they get back to Israel, Ruth needs two things. She needs a meal, and she needs a husband. And little does she know, she's going to find both things in the same field. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. If you've got an app on your phone, open up your phone app, if whatever device you're using. Or if you've memorized the book of Ruth, you can just kind of read along in your mind with us. Again, I am going to read the entire chapter this morning. And I know it's a lengthy reading, but it's really it's a fascinating story. Plus, there's just a lot of details that we've got to keep straight if we're going to walk through this story. So, uh, follow along. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation this morning. Ruth chapter 2. Now, there was a wealthy man, wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. So right off the bat, we learn a couple things about uh, Boaz. He is wealthy, he is influential, he's related to Elimelech. One day Ruth said to Naomi, Let me go out into the fields to gather leftover grain behind anyone who will let me do it. And Naomi said, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, it's a significant phrase, we're going to come back to that phrase. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, another important phrase we're going to come back to. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. 
The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that girl over there? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. Man, they are never going to let Ruth forget that she is a foreigner, the woman from Moab. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes' rest over there in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to bother you. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. Why are you being so kind to me, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about the love and kindness that you've shown your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me even though I'm not as worthy as your workers. At lunchtime, Boaz called to her. He's about to offer a huge thing here. Come over here and help yourself to some of our food. You can dip your bread in the wine if you like. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her food, more than she could eat. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And... Pull some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up, and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it came to about half a bushel. Okay, a little bit of context here. If you are a gleaner in that culture, your hope was to gather enough grain for a meal. Ruth gathers enough grain for a month's worth of meal. It have been unheard of. Verse 18. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the food that was left over from her lunch. So much, Naomi exclaimed. Where did you gather all this grain today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. And she said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. This is wonderful, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said. Stay with his workers right through the whole harvest. You will be safe there, unlike in other fields. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields, and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she worked with them through the wheat harvest too. But all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. Okay. Naomi and Ruth are broke. We've already talked about just about everything that could have gone wrong for these two women has gone wrong. In that culture, 
there was really only one honorable way for a woman in their position to survive. Now, there were several dishonorable ways for a woman in their position to survive, but there was only one honorable way, and that was for them to go on welfare. And the welfare system of that time, according to Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 24, was for the poor women to follow along behind the harvesters in a field and glean, that is, kind of pick up what might fall. In fact, Levitical law said that the harvesters were required to intentionally drop some grain in the corners of the field, the ends of the row, drop a little bit of grain so that the poor women would have something to to be able to glean and and be able to get what was left behind. It is a very interesting welfare system installed by God. God wanted the poor, especially poor women, to be provided for. And to make that happen, God expects two things. He expects the wealthy to be generous. He expects the poor to be industrious. God tells the wealthy, I want you to be generous. I want you to leave some grain behind. And he tells the poor, I want you to work for it. I want you to go out and glean that left behind grain. One really good reason to admire Ruth, she's willing to work. She's a woman who's willing to work. She's had more than her share of disappointments, more than her share of heartache. But you never see Ruth kind of sitting at home with her arms crossed going, why me? You never see Ruth with a sense of entitlement. She is willing to go out and work. Question for you. It's an easy question. It's not a trick question. In our culture, how does our culture measure attractiveness? Again, it's not a trick question. It's easy, right? Attractiveness, especially in a woman, is is measured how? Looks, physically. Her face, her smile, her figure. Now, that's what our culture describes as attractive. In Scripture, you you look at things like, places like Proverbs chapter 31, that passage that is always quoted, the virtuous woman. And in that passage, we read about what God considers the ideal woman, Nowhere, not once, in Proverbs 31 is a woman's looks, smile, face, figure mentioned. Not once. What's mentioned in the the, uh, passage talking about the virtuous woman in God's eyes is her industriousness, the heart she has for her family, uh, her loyalty, those kind of qualities that come from the heart. There's an attractiveness to that. Now, I don't know if Ruth was physically attractive or not. I like to think that she was. But I don't have any reason to say that other than I read this story through Western, pretty chauvinistic eyes. But Boaz does notice her. And he goes way beyond anything that might have been expected of him. I want to make, I want to share a couple things that Boaz does for Ruth, and then I want to make a couple applications for us, you know, living in the 21st century. Uh, a couple things that Boaz does. First, he shows incredible kindness to Ruth. He tells Ruth, when you're thirsty, don't go all the way back to the well, just drink some of our water. He tells Ruth, come eat some of our food. 
Dip your bread in our wine if you'd like. He shows incredible kindness to Ruth. Then also, he's protective of Ruth. He tells his workers, don't bother this woman. Another version says, don't disrespect this woman. Sexual harassment in the workplace didn't begin in our lifetime. Boaz tells his workers in no uncertain terms, you keep your hands to yourself. And then he is incredibly generous to Ruth. He tells Ruth, I want you to follow right behind my workers. You get first crack at anything they may leave behind. In fact, he tells his workers, you know, sometimes just drop the whole stock. Just leave a big pile there for this lady to pick up. Don't don't give her a hard time about it. Now, you might read this story and you might be thinking to yourself, ah, Boaz has a thing for Ruth. Boaz is flirting with this woman, Ruth. I don't think so. I don't think that Boaz is at all flirting with Ruth. In fact, in the next chapter, we're going to see that he is amazed that she would even notice him because he's so much older than she is. I don't think Boaz is flirting with Ruth. I think what he's doing is showing his true character. He is showing Ruth honor. He is giving Ruth respect. He he is paying attention to her with admiration. He's giving her honor. Honor. So, the plot is thickening. We know it's a love story. And we know that Ruth and Boaz are like the main two people in this love story, but they're not in love yet. They haven't quite got there yet, but the pieces are starting to fall into place. Ruth and Naomi, for that matter, are in a much better place than they were. Ruth is able to glean in Boaz's fields. I told you she needed two things. She needed a meal. She needed a husband. Okay, she's got the meal. As far as the husband's concerned, you're going to have to come back next week. We're going to talk about that next week. Uh, But for today, let me make some present-day applications to this story. Ruth chapter 2 is actually filled with some pretty good marriage advice. So some of this is going to be for you young people that might be contemplating marriage someday. Some of this is going to be for you parents who will be talking to your children about marriage someday. Some of this will be for you people that are married that uh, want to have the best marriage you can possibly have. Some of this is going to be for those of you who never want to be married. Uh, There's still some advice in here. I heard about a Sunday school teacher who was teaching her class one day, and she said, um, who can tell me what Jesus said about marriage? Which is a hard question for little kids, right? And nobody raised their hand. Who can tell me what Jesus said about marriage? And the kids all looked kind of confused. Can't anyone tell me what Jesus said about marriage? Finally, one little boy raised his hand and said, "Uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is so great to hear laughter. (laughs) Even if it's a pity laugh, I'll take it. Thank you. But you know, that joke would actually would be funny if it weren't so true. Because so many people enter marriage and they really don't have a clue uh, about what it's about. Um, So I want to share with you three questions. Three questions for you to ask when you're in the middle of your love story. 
wherever that love story might be. Uh, And the first is this. When you're with someone, you need to ask yourself, how do they treat other people? How does this person treat other people? How do they treat the waitress who has messed up the order? How do they treat the people that they work with? Not just their boss, but how about the people that are kind of underneath them? How do they treat the person who cuts them off in traffic? Pay attention to how they treat other people. Notice a couple of things that Boaz does when he's talking about treating others. First, he greets his employees with a blessing. Chapter 2, verse 4, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. Boaz has no problem making sure that everyone that works for him knows who he serves and who his Lord is. Remember, this is a time when the judges were ruling. It was a dark time in Hebrew history. Everyone did as they saw fit. I think if I were working in a field in that day and time, I think I would have liked to have worked in Boaz's field. And then also he eats with his servants, which is a much bigger statement then than it would be today. But Boaz is is making the attempt to have a relationship with the people that are working for him. Over and over again, he shows compassion to Ruth. We've already talked about that. He shows generosity. But notice, he does it publicly. He's not hiding anything. He wants to make sure that uh, everyone knows and understands what he's doing and why he's doing it. And then finally, he makes sure not only is Ruth provided for, he's making sure that Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, is provided for as well. He cares about the extended family. When I was in high school, when I was just starting to date girls, I got some dating advice uh, that was good advice. It came from my older brother, by the way, but it was pretty good advice. And the advice was, try to win the mother. Try to make sure the girl's mother really likes you. Don't worry about the dad. He's not going to like you no matter what you do. Forget about him, but do your best to make sure that the girl's mom likes you. And I got to tell you, for the most part, in high school at least, not so much in college, but in high school, the girl I was dating, the girls I dated, their mothers loved me. In fact, their mothers liked me a lot better than they liked me, which is a problem. You know, there's a balance there that I never could quite find, but uh, pay attention to how the person you're with treats other people. Here's a second question to consider. What do I find attractive about this person? I already mentioned that in our culture, it is almost entirely uh, physical. But anyone here, anyone listening to me, that's been married for more than about six weeks knows that that's a fog that burns off pretty quickly. The first time Boaz sees Ruth, she's working in his field. And she'd been working in his field all day. So she's tired, she's got to be hot and sweaty. But Boaz sees her and he notices her. Who's that woman working over there? And the answer is, that's Ruth, the Moabitess. She's been hard at work all morning. I already mentioned what Proverbs 31 says about the attractiveness in women. Let me share with you something in the New Testament that talks about the attractiveness in women. Peter would say this in 1 Peter chapter 3. 
Verse 3. He's speaking to women. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. I think when we're talking about Ruth, I think we're talking about a holy woman of the past. I think we're talking about a woman whose beauty was in a gentle and quiet spirit. Which brings me to my third and final question. Maybe it's the best question of all. Where do you see God in your love story? Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, I told you I was going to come back to that. She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. And then verse 4 begins, While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. What are the chances? What are the chances that Ruth comes back to Bethlehem and just happens to find herself working in a field owned by Boaz? And what are the chances that Boaz just happens to show up in that same field while she is there working and he notices her? I'm going to tell you, the chances are really good. <laughs> when God is involved in the story, the chances are really good. If you're a young person and you're thinking about marriage someday, I hope prayer is a big part of that process. If you're a parent, I hope you are praying for your children's future spouse, no matter how old your children are. If you are married already, I hope that you are praying about your marriage. Prayer is such an important part of this process, and God is involved. Now, let me say this real quick to not everyone gets married. And that's good, that's fine. Not everyone should get married. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it was better for him not to get married. Paul gave some pretty good uh, arguments on why sometimes it's better not to be married. And that's fine. But the reality is, most people get married. Prayer needs to be a part of that process. Proverbs 19, verse 14 says that houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. One uh, translation says an understanding wife. If you have, guys, if you have a prudent wife, if you have an understanding wife, the Bible says that's a gift from God. I heard this quote a long time ago, and it's always kind of stuck with me. You want to become the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for. Now, you've got to think about that for just a minute, but I think it's really great advice. You need to work on being the kind of person that when you finally meet the person you're looking for, you're the same kind of person that they're looking for. Only with God in the process is that going to happen. Let me wrap up with a story. It's a true story. Uh, years ago, uh, Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show was interviewing a seven-year-old boy from West Virginia who had saved some people in a mining accident. Now, if you don't know who Johnny Carson is, that means you're not really old. 
But uh, just think Jimmy Fallon a little bit funnier. But anyhow, he's interviewing this little boy, and the boy said, well, I learned in church that we should help people whenever we can. And so Carson asked him, so you go to church on Sundays, do you? And the little boy said, yes, I do. And Carson asked him, what did you learn in Sunday school last week? And the little boy said, we learned that uh, once at a wedding, Jesus turned water into wine. And the crowd laughed and snickered at that, and the little boy's too young to realize it was kind of a mocking laugh. Carson's trying to keep a straight face, but he's trying to get a few more laughs at this little kid's expense. So he asked him, what do you think that means, that Jesus turned water into wine? The little boy wasn't exactly sure how to answer that question. So he thinks for a few minutes and finally says, well, I guess it means if you have a marriage, you ought to invite Jesus. <laughs> Which I thought, wow, that is like the greatest advice ever. If you're going to have a marriage, you ought to invite Jesus. If you're going to fall in love some, with someone, you ought to invite Jesus into that relationship. Now, Next week, we are going to see that Boaz and Ruth are going to take this relationship to the next level. Now, you hear that phrase all the time, right? Oh, we're going to take it to the next level. Well, next week, we're going to see what this godly man Boaz and this virtuous woman Ruth, how they take their relationship to the next level. Uh, but for this morning, I hope that we're at least reminded that... Uh, we need to be paying attention to how we treat other people. How are we treating the people that we work with? How do we treat the people in our circle of influence? How do we treat the people we live with? Our families. And I hope that we're reminded that we need to be showing kindness. We need to be protective of the people that we love. We need to be generous with the people that we love to put the needs of others before our own. That's the kind of love story that really can change the world. Now, I mentioned the very first week we started this uh, series. These are just two ordinary people. And yet the Holy Spirit wanted us to know their story because God used these two ordinary people and he used their love story to change the world. I think God still works in that way. I think God can take your story. He can take my story. He can take my love story. And he can use it to influence future generations in ways that make a tremendous difference. So, I hope you come back next week for a little bit more of the story. Listen this morning with prayer. Father, all love stories are, are measured against your level of love. And your love is defined by kindness and generosity. And your love is defined by sacrifice. You loved us so much, you gave your one and only Son. So, Father, would you help us all to be more kind, more generous, more gracious, more loving with the people that we meet. Would you help us to be more like Jesus? It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Let's sing the song together as we prepare for our communion. <clears throat>
instructions real quick because we're doing something a little bit different. If you're here with me this morning, you've got one of these really nifty packets of communion stuff, bread and juice. If you're out there, now's a great time to get your juice and uh, crackers ready to go. What we're going to do is I'm going to give you some advice and the advice is to go ahead and just peel up just the top cellophane piece and go ahead and get the bread out and put it in your hand and keep that handy. These packets are a little bit tricky, so... Uh, Maybe just get that ready to go, and we're going to say three prayers today. One for the bread, one for the juice, and then again after that for the offering. It's a separate and apart. So now that the instructions are done, let's get into this mindset of talking about the Lord's Supper. Let's talk about communion today. Um, I was really thinking about what communion means over the last few months, and it really was the last few months. I have to tell you that sharing in communion is very important to me, and I've been practicing with this church for the last six months, taking some, some matzah bread and some juice at home and praying along and considering what does it mean to be communing with my brothers and sisters that are not right in front of me. You know, the, the challenge is communion is really about unity. It's unity in thought. It's unity in purpose. And it really is challenging when you're separated and I started considering what is this separation all about. For the last six months, it started in about February, COVID-19 separated us, and we had to deal with this separation physically, and social distancing, isolation, and that's a challenge. And then not long after that, we had some racial tensions that have kept things even more separate. And if you have a different mentality than other people, then perhaps there's tension and there's challenges in keeping us together. And then we start thinking about the fact that 2020 is an election year. Let's not even get started considering that separation. 
All in all, it comes down to this. It seems that this world is really bent on keeping us separated. Separated, and yet communion is to be unified in thought and in purpose. While the world wants division, God wants unity in thought and purpose. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he was praying. And he said this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me to be unified in thought and in purpose. And so the invitation for us right now is to be unified in thought and in purpose. It's for us to do it right. So what does it take for us to do this communion right before we take this bread? How do we really get unified? And with that thought in mind, I want to remind you of two principles, two big things that have been on my heart and mind over the last couple of months, and it starts out like this. First big principle, can you unite, can we align on this thought? There is no forgiveness of sin without payment. There is no forgiveness of sin without payment. And I want you to think back all the way from Genesis and Adam and Eve and in the garden, a payment was required because of sin. You know, we tend to forget about that payment because we're not in a state of constantly making payment, but all the way through the Old Testament, you see that payment is required for sin. And make no mistake, God cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin must be justified. It has to be paid for. Romans, starting in chapter 3, verse 23, says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as, propiti as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Sin has to be justified. There is no forgiveness of sin without payment. And then there's this second big thought that's been on my mind. And I wonder if you can align on this thought. I'm going to bring up this thought in the first person, but you tell me, at least you think about it, can you say it the same way? Second big thought, I can't afford the payment for my sin. I can't afford the payment for my sin. And if you're unified, if you answered it the same way, if you think the same way that I do, then today we are communing. We are coming before the Father. We are taking the bread. We're remembering the sacrifice that was made to pay the debt of sin that I can't afford. Let's remember as we go to our Father in prayer. Lord, our God and Father, we are humbled by you. We're thankful, Lord God, that you've given us this opportunity to commune, 
to remember where we are aligned, where we are unified, and that's at the foot of your cross. We pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us for our sins. We know, Lord God, that only you could justify us. We pray, Lord God, that you would focus us, that you would help us to remember who we are, that we're yours. We pray, Lord God, that we would take this bread, that we would remember that your son was your holy gift to us, that he is your Christ. Lord God, we thank you that his blood has paid the debt that we could not pay. So we pray, Lord, as we take this bread, that we would do it in a manner that pleases you. We pray these things, Lord, in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The interesting thing is I don't have to wait for cups to be passed out today, but now's a great time to go ahead and open up that second packet that has the juice carefully. I see you out there. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, our God and Father, we're mindful, Lord, of the cost we're mindful, Lord God, that it took blood to pay the price for our sins. We just thank you, Lord, for that blessing. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to take this juice, to remember, Lord God, who we are, that we are yours. We pray, Lord God, that we would take this juice in a way that pleases you. We pray this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. While the offering is not happening physically right now, trays are not being passed around, one more idea for us to consider is that we get to participate in ministry all the time, every day. In your words, in your thoughts, in your deeds, in the way that you interact with people, when you give of your time, of your talents, and today, in this moment, from your treasures, you are participating in the ministry that God has called us to. So, we're not passing trays out, and you might be participating over Facebook. Please remember that we do uh, have that digital way of transferring money. It says a lot when we take the time and the intention to move funds from our account and send it to the place that we worship together. What does it say? It says that I'm doing what I was told to do, number one. God asked us to lay by and store. It says that we believe in the work that's going on and in the ministry that is happening here at the Bay Area Church. And it says that we are putting some trust in the people that are taking those funds to use them the right way. We're going to pray over those funds and over that offering and over that blessing right now, and we're going to continue to keep this church in mind as we continue to contribute and as we continue to trust that God will use these funds in the best way. Remember, ultimately, he's in control of it all. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, we come before you mindful that you give us everything. You give us the air in our lungs, the ability to wake up another morning and enjoy all of the blessings that you've put in our care. 
Lord God, we pray that we could be good servants. We pray, Lord God, that we could manage all that you've given us. We pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't be carried away by all of these physical blessings, but that we would hold them with an open hand, knowing that they all belong to you. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to have hearts and minds that not only consider, but actively participate in sharing and giving back something that already belongs to you, some money. We pray, Lord God, that as the funds are collected, that you would be with those that would take those funds and use them. We pray, Lord God, that they would be used effectively for your ministry in the way that you want. We pray for your will. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your direction. Lord, we pray that we are doing the right things, that we're working the way that you want us to work for your glory and for your kingdom. So we pray, Lord God, that you would bless us as we go through this act of giving. We pray, Lord God, that we would have the right hearts, the right minds, the right intentions. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless each of us in this act. We pray it all, Lord, in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Following this song, we'll, uh, we'll sing this song as our close, but there will be some announcements following this song. Uh, if you don't mind, please stand with me. <laughs> I haven't said that in a while. <laughs> Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the This past week, 
A beloved member, former elder, and teacher at this congregation, Harold Stutzman, had his 90th birthday. And so we, <laughs> we want to sing happy birthday to Harold. Would you join me, please? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Harold. Happy birthday to you. Everybody at home, have a great week. See you next week.